Well, this morning we are uh, continuing our sermon series called Our Church, Our Mission. Uh, Matt launched it last week, uh, talking about a church being on mission together, and I encourage you to, to go back and listen to that if you, if you missed it. Matt did a, did a great job. This morning I'm talking a bit more about our church and a bit more about who we are as a church and what identifies us and our, our values that our mission is, comes out of. And I'm talking uh, this morning, talking about a, uh, I'm calling it living life in alignment, living life in alignment. And uh, those of you that know me, you know uh, that if I get a song stuck in my head, it's really annoying to people that are around me. My wife will testify to this because I'll just get one line stuck in my head and sing it over and over and over. And as I was thinking about our message this morning, I was thinking about uh, Bob Dylan's uh, 1964 hit, The Times They Are A-Changin'. I had that stuck in my head all week this week because they are. The times are a-changin' for the church. And I was also thinking about another uh, famous quote by, uh, from The Great Emergence, book The Great Emergence, Dr. Phyllis Tickle, who, feel free to uh, laugh, her name is funny. Uh, she wrote in her book, The Great Emergence, that every 500 years, the church has a rummage sale. Every 500 years, the church has a rummage sale, which is true. Historically, if you think through church history, and it's interesting to note that our last big yard sale was 500 years ago, as of last year, in the Protestant Reformation. And things are changing right now in the world with the church, and particularly in the West. We're seeing a lot of change. If you put together a lot of the statistics from Pew Research and Barna and, and Lifeway Research, you see some of the big shifts that are happening in the church right now. Some of the statistics that we see, for example, 35% of Americans under 30 have an anti-church stance, meaning they believe the church does more harm than it does good. So almost 60% of Americans under 30 who were raised in a church have dropped out of church. doesn't necessarily mean they've left the faith, but they've dropped out of organized church activity. 38% of ages 18 to 27 are religiously unaffiliated. We call them the nuns. That's up from 12% is what it used to be. It's now 38% and rising. For every new church plant in the United States, four churches close. Church attendance among the committed is down from six to eight times a month to once or twice a month. Church numbers as a whole have plateaued over the last number of years and beginning to decline, and interesting to note, one of the only reasons we've maintained a plateau is because of immigration. Our Hispanic and African brothers and sisters, believers who have come to this country, they've held us steady in the faith here in the United States, but those are beginning to decline, and giving across the board of all ages is in decline. It was uh, over, overall, uh, uh, overall giving charitable contributions is at an all-time high. In the United States, and giving to religious organizations and churches is at an all-time low. It was almost 60% in the 80s, and it's now down to 33% and dropping. So the landscape in America and in the, the church is definitely going to change, and because of that, we are going to change in terms of how we do mission. How we carry out our business is just going to have to change as we adapt. Church is not going away. It's never going to go away. It's not dying in that sense, but it is having a bit of a yard sale, and we're going to have to change the way we do things over the next 
generation as we pursue mission together. And as we do that, as this type of chaos kind of happens in the culture and then begins to affect the church, as we make changes to how we do mission and carry out our life together, what I want to talk about today is that we always have to remain grounded in the biblical values of who we are so that as we express the church in the world that it remains aligned with and grounded and rooted in biblical values of what the church is and what the church was always meant to be. There's a famous saying in, uh, in um, business management uh, theory, which is what I, I studied at college. It's attributed to Peter Drucker, and it's culture eats strategy for breakfast. And others would say it eats it for lunch and dinner, too. And there's another book uh, by Sam Chad, Sam Chand, where he says, the strongest force in an organization is not vision or strategy, it's the culture that holds together all the other components. And what this means is, as we're pursuing mission and strategy together, if it's not in alignment with the culture and the values of who you are as a people or who the organization is, then there's going to be misalignment. You're going to go off in the, in the wrong direction. Or there's going to be a lack of motivation because the vision or strategy you're trying to drag people into doesn't really line up with who they know themselves to be or what the culture established in that organization is. And so as Matt shared with us last week, he said, a church that's not on mission will die. Which is true. A church that's not on mission together will die. And this week, I'd say a church that is not grounded in shared biblical values will be malformed. A church that's not on mission will die, but a church that's not grounded and aligned with biblical values will be malformed. It will be inauthentic and misguided in how it carries out its life together. And the primary component of culture is values. Primary component of culture is values. What do we care about? What do we fund? What do we spend time about? What do we esteem? What do we talk about? What are the things that we are passionate about? Primary component of culture. And when establishing values and thinking about values, there's two things that are, are really important. One is intentionality. We have to be intentional about thinking about and expressing and stating who we are as a people, what our values are that we all agree to together. Because if we're not, then we will really just absorb whatever values are around us. And this isn't a, this isn't a Christian thing, this is a human thing. I was reading different uh, articles about, uh, by non-Christian writers about values and people's values and how they live them out. And for example, Dr. Jim Taylor, in his article, Personal Growth, Your Values, Your Life, he says, few people actually choose their values, they simply adapt the values of their parents or the dominant values of society. This is true for people, this is true for organizations. And it isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as those values are good <laughs> that you're absorbing from your parents or from your culture around you, but you have to be intentional about that. What are those values? Are those my values? Are those who I was meant to be? Because we know, obviously, in Romans 12, 2, it says, do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. So often in life, if we're not intentional about this, 
you, you know, you run into a lot of people, you talk to a lot of people who are just kind of dissatisfied. They just feel the sense of lack of motivation and purpose in life and their day-to-day life and what am I really doing with myself? And oftentimes that can be traced back to not having an alignment between what they're doing with their life and the decisions they're making and how they're using their money, how they're living their life with who they really are, how they're gifted, how they're called, who they were meant to be or the things that they value. And oftentimes bringing those things intentionally back into alignment can restore that motivation and that joy of life. It requires intentionality and it also requires simplicity. We can't overcomplicate this. Um, in the business, ma- business management theory again, they say that it has to be simple and portable and memorable when you're talking about your values. Otherwise, it's just kind of a lot of white noise, a lot of talk and, and big words when we talk about expressing values. And this is one complaint that's brought up a lot by younger folks when it comes to the church, that we kind of overcomplicate these things. I've heard that and read that a lot. One example from a, a, a blog that's well-known, a guy who actually loves the church, but he was writing in his article, 12 Reasons Millennials Are Over Church. He says, we're sick of hearing about values and mission statements. Sweet Moses, people, give it a rest. Of course, as an organization, it's important to be moving in the same direction, but that should be easier for Christians than anyone because we already have a leader to follow. Jesus was insanely clear about our purpose on earth, love God, love others, task completed. And I think he's right. We do have to have values together in order to move in the same direction, shared intentional values, but we can't overcomplicate it. It has to be simple and memorable and portable. And so here at Bethany Church, as we talk about our values and who are we and where is it that we draw our mission and vision from that shared culture and values. We want to express that intentionally and we want to be simple about that and then make sure that our mission and our strategy that we're doing together is in alignment with those values. And I would argue that the church has always, biblically speaking and historically speaking, had shared values that just don't often get expressed very well. They get expressed differently sometimes as well, even when they do get expressed well. For us, we say, at Bethany Church, we're going deep, we're reaching wide, and we're living for the age to come. I believe that's what the church was always meant to be, and that's how we express it uniquely here at Bethany Church. We're going deep, reaching wide, and living for the age to come. I want to talk about those just for a a couple of minutes. And first, I want to read to you a couple of passages from the Scripture as we talk about what those values are and what they look like among us. Uh, There's two passages, one in Acts and one in 1 Peter, where in one passage you see where the church is doing really well and times are are really good, and then in another passage where times are more difficult and the church is, is scattered and facing persecution, but you see a lot of the same values expressed during no, no matter what's going on uh, around them. So in Acts 2, 42-47, it says, they were devoted they, devoted, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer, a reverential awe came over everyone. And many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. All who believed were together and held everything in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and distributing the proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. Every day they continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house, sharing their food with glad and humble hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. 
And the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. And then in 1 Peter 4, 7-9, through he says, The end of all things are at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And we see these values going deep, reaching wide, and for the age to come expressed in these passages when the church finds itself even in different situations. So we're going deep. We are committed to encountering God together. We're going deep. We're committed to encountering God together. In several ways, we're committed to encountering God together in the Spirit and in prayer. You see, in Acts 2, that they were devoted to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. And that many signs and wonders were being performed as, as this wellspring of life through prayer and the life of the Spirit was springing up in the church. And in 1 Peter 4, he's saying, stay committed to your prayers. Do this for the sake of your prayers. Continue to do these things because it's the wellspring of life within us as individuals and as a church. And we have to maintain this abiding connection with the Spirit through prayer in our church, and we're committed to that. And that's why we will continue to pursue in different ways prayer publicly and privately and in in small groups within our church. And we're going deep as well in the Word. It says in Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that's why we will continue to maintain preaching the whole counsel of God here on Sunday mornings as we gather together and studying the Word together and encouraging us to study it on our own and in small groups as well. As this fall uh, or uh, going into this year, we look at pursuing some sermon-based small groups together, just different ways to encourage going deep in the Word. And then going deep in relationship with one another. You see this in incredible ways. In Acts 2, they're selling their possessions to care for one another's needs. They're serving one another in Acts 2 and 1 Peter 4 with whatever gifts that they've been given financially or personally and spiritual giftings. And they're breaking bread together from home to home. You see this community of going deep together in relationship with one another. And that's why here in this church we have a benevolence fund with boxes on your way out the door or that you can give to online or during our um, offerings anytime you want where we care for the needs the financial needs of one another in the church. And it's why we've organized the church into ministry teams so people can have an easier way to take ownership of expressing their gifts and serving one another with their gifts within the church. And we need these things today, I think, more than ever in terms of going deep with one another. We live in a society, obviously, we all know it's the most connected world in the history of mankind. And yet, loneliness, depression, and suicide are going off the charts. I'm not sure how we reconcile those things, but I do know that the church gathered in community is incredibly important. It's incredibly important as a witness to the world because that's how Jesus said we will be known as His disciples, that we love one another. And it's incredibly important for us as We move into a post-Christian culture where in very short order we're going to be living in a purely missional context where we are the minority in the culture 
And it'd be so much more important the church gathered and unified, encouraging one another. A young person in our church, a young man who's off at college right now, emailed us an article last week or the week before that I read that I thought had something very interesting to say about this subject. In Brett McCracken's article, 21 Challenges Facing the 21st Church, he says the trajectory of technology is away from incarnational presence and toward disembodied experience. We increasingly live our lives via screen streams, apps, and phones. Our relationships are digital, and this exacerbates the existing Gnostic tendencies, which is a cerebral rather than an embodied faith, and subtly de-emphasizes the crucial physicality of the church, the body of Christ, in the material and not just the theoretical sense. Churches should find ways to encourage physical gatherings, the practice of the Lord's Supper, Meals together in neighborhoods, bodily movement and worship, shaking hands and hugging each other, whatever it takes. Anything to resensitize people to the fleshly reality of the church in the world. And I think this is so important and it's why we want to work uh, as we gather together on Sunday mornings to increase engagement in ministry times at the end of service for those who need a hug or they need some prayer. For us to be available to one another, to serve one another in our spiritual gifts and in small groups and in doing community together, whether it's barbecues and outdoor services in the summer, whatever we do to physically gather together, be together for encouragement and serving one another. And this is so important, this going deep with one another in relationship because discipleship and Christian formation is a is a really hot topic within the church right now. And one of the absolutely essential components of Christian formation and discipleship is physical presence. You cannot learn to love one another without interacting with other people, particularly those who may be different from you and disagree with you and are hard to get along with at times. It's so important that we're together. It's the only way for the fruit of the Spirit to develop. Me and Jesus in a corner where the Bible doesn't work for Christian formation. And as you think about our society and what's going on right now in our society and how we express relationships with one another, both digitally and in person and in, in media, when you think about that and then you read Gen- Galatians 5, through 23, think about the difference between them. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. That's not like the world around us right now. But that's what a mature believer looks like, and that's what the church, what the world needs, is we need mature believers in this time that we're coming into. And I think that people are dying. It's been my experience. I used to play in a, uh, a bar band, so I spent a lot of time in uh, bars up until a few years ago, and just being able to interact with people before and after shows and between sets was one of the things I was so impressed with, uh, the impression on me as I interact uh, with people who are just open about their lives, is, is how much people are dying for someone to be kind, for someone to be good. People are dying for that in their lives. So we're going deep. An encounter with God, going deep in the Word, going deep in relationship with one another. But we're also reaching wide. We're committed to the Great Commission. 
reaching wide. We're committed to the Great Commission. It's interesting in 1 Peter 4 where it says, show hospitality. Actually, uh, literal meaning there is to entertain strangers. To entertain strangers. And obviously in Acts 2, they're adding to their numbers daily. As the church is gathering together, the, the gospel is being shared. And people are coming into encounter with the gospel message and the church that carries that message and they're being saved and added to their number. And this church, 75 years old, and I've, I've asked a couple of different people, you cannot count the number of churches that have been planted as a direct result of this congregation. It's in the thousands over the last 75 years. This is who we are. This is what we were born to be. It's in our DNA and why this church was planted was to see the gospel go to the nations. And to this day, it's why, although I know some of you think they're ugly, you know who you are, you've talked to me, but these flags are on the wall up here. <laughs> it's because it's an expression of our value. It's this physical, visual reminder of we are taking the gospel to the nations. It's why we give 15% of every donation that comes into this church. It goes directly into taking the gospel to the nations. Why we have a missions offering. Why we have a missions bake sale. Why we have a team that's going to Mombasa next month. Why we do short-term missions. Why our kids do projects and offerings. And why we gladly send out our best people. Some of my best friends have left this church to go serve. And it's always sad to see them go but we gladly send our best to the nations. It's why we started the Storehouse Fund about a year and a half ago. Because God's priorities are for those, when it comes to our resources, are for those who've not heard the gospel and for those who are poor and refugee and orphan and persecuted. And we want to make sure that how we live our lives, how we express our lives and finances are aligned with God's priorities for the church. And then locally, reaching out, out reaching out locally. That's something, you know, that I think formally, historically, because we've been so focused on the nations, has always been uh, a bit of a struggle for us locally, but we always do it. I mean, we have lots of people in our congregation. This is a, a value, uh, reaching out locally. Obviously, we have Val working with, with Firebase, and uh, we have the Severins that are, uh, are working with uh, street-level ministries, and Ken, you're probably going to share with us about your work with abortion uh, clinic outreach as he preaches on sanctity of life, and Jared Winger on Tuesday nights is leading Bible study down uh, for the men at the the Salvation Army. Uh, let's see, we have the the Yellies who are they do outreach at their building on uh, Rice Street. Jeff Mydal and Danny Lovestrand are often working out uh, with the poor in in soup kitchens, and obviously we have all these families that are doing foster care and adoption, which I challenge you to find any other more impactful way <laughs> to reach into somebody's life. And so we have local outreach is this value that we have, but as we move forward into the next couple of years, we want to look more at how can we get this church healthy in such a way that we can multiply ourselves locally in an organized and formal way as well. So we're reaching wide. We're committed to the Great Commission. Lastly, we're living for the age to come. We're committed to living a life of eternal significance, living for the age to come. I love that the Nicene Creed, this great ecumenical creed of the church written in 381 AD, to which all streams of Christianity for the last 2,000 years, Protestant, Orthodox, and Catholic, all agree this is what we believe. And I love that that statement concludes with, we look to the resurrection and the life of the world to come. We look to the resurrection and the life of the world to come. 
Peter says in our passage, 1 Peter 4, the end of all things is at hand, therefore. It's always keeping this eye on the age to come and the coming kingdom. And this kind of belief that we have of, of living for the age to come as a church is really kind of best laid out in Hebrews as it walks through the history of faith and the, and the heroes of the faith and how they lived their lives. We read in Hebrews 11.8, by faith, Abraham obeyed, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. In Hebrews 11.16, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Hebrews 11.24-26, by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Hebrews 11.35, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Then it's all wrapped up in Hebrews 12, where the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set out before us, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. And as Matt mentioned last week, we spent a lot of time in John, and it's in John 17 where we see that joy that was set before Jesus that allowed him to live his life with this focus on the age that is to come. It was that joy set before him that he would be with us and that we would see his glory and know him and be together with him in his kingdom. That was the joy set before him, and that's the joy set before us as we live for the age to come. At Asbury Seminary, the chair of the New Testament department, Dr. Ben Witherington III, who's one of uh, a writer that I, I, I love to read in his book, Jesus, Paul, and the End of the World, he says, to deny the bodily on this earth resurrection is to jettison the essence and basis of Christian hope. Without this very concrete object of hope, preaching is pointless, Christian living is in vain. In short, for Paul, the basis of ethics Christian living, preaching, and even Christology is the resurrection. In the end, Paul pictures final salvation. It will entail not only new believers, but also a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem on earth that has come down out of heaven. The realities that already exist in heaven will find their final resting place on earth. Then, and only then, will the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and Christ. And a church without a proper eschatological framework in which to live and believe is a church at odds with some of the crucial elements of the gospel. There's a major difference between redemption from and redemption in and of the world. And it's the latter that is proclaimed loud and clear in the teachings of Jesus and Paul. We're living for the age to come. This is our hope and it affects our lives now, how we align, how we live our lives, what decisions we make, how we spend our money must align with this value for us to, to feel on mission and complete. At our home, we used to have, uh, until we repainted the living room over the archway in our living room, we used to have uh, Live Simply stenciled on the wall. And it wasn't because it was a cute, you know, target stencil or whatever. It's because I feel the need um, every day. As I wake up and as I come home to remember what I'm living for. 
as we go through tough times to remember, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I live different than others. This is because I'm living for the age to God. I was actually going to wear a Live Simply t-shirt today, but I ordered one, but it didn't fit very well. So I had to, <laughs> I, I didn't want to subject you guys to that. So, <clears throat> but that's part of who we are, and we will direct our resources and make our decisions as we talk about changing strategy and changing expression of mission. We will do that in alignment with things that will earn eternal significance and not always significance in this age as our culture may dictate. So as we wrap up the times, they are a-changing. And yes, the church is having a bit of a yard sale. The culture is shifting chaotically around us and the strategies and the outworking of missions are going to adapt over the next several decades. But those decisions must always be intentional and simple and grounded in shared biblical values that anchor us and they transcend denomination and style and preference. They are who the church is meant to be. They are who we are. A church that is not on mission will die. But a church that's not grounded in these shared biblical values will be malformed and inauthentic and misdirected. That's when we start to, when those things aren't aligned, that's when we start to pursue power and we start, start to pursue greed and we, we start to pursue comfort. We get sucked into the values that are around us and not necessarily the values that Jesus wants for His disciples. And so we need to re-engage with intentionality and renew our commitment to these values, particularly in tough times and changing times. I know I've, I've had some incredibly difficult times over the last uh, number of years, personally, and as, as a, a family. And I know many of you have as well. I know this church has had difficult times in the last number of years. And it's so important in those times when you go through those challenges and as you, you go through grief or you go through loss or you go through significant change, as you process through that and you come on the backside of it, that you pick yourself up and dust yourself off and, and re-examine, okay, am I still in this? Am I still committed? Going deep, reaching wide, living for the age to come. Maybe things have changed, but how does that look now, God? How does that look now for me in my life? How am I going to live that out? How do you want me to live that out? I think it's, it's significant. Paul Anderson, who was here two weeks ago, he told me on the phone, and then he mentioned it to you guys on Sunday morning, that he really felt the Spirit was speaking to him prophetically that for us it's a season of, of redigging, redigging the wells, as we see in Genesis, where they redig the wells of their forefathers. And I think for us, again, it's a season as we look at mission together. Okay, how are we going to unite behind mission together and what does that look like? And looking at, okay, what are our values? Going deep, reaching wide, living for the age to come. And how are we going to express that in this changing new reality that's coming at us as a church? So important that we redig those wells. And it's important for each of us because we need you. I love what Craig Groeschel says. He's a prominent speaker and pastor and a teacher at Life Church. He says, organizations don't change, people change. And when people change, people change organizations. 
organization is not a living person. It's you and I that create the life of the church and what it is and our engagement to these values together and living this life together. So we invite the worship team to, to come up and we're going to close with our, uh, our service with a, uh, our main worship time together. And as we go into that time, thinking about this message and thinking about this season of life, I wonder if you'd be willing to just reflect on these things. Are you consciously aware of your values? Do you know what your values are as a person? Can you, are you struggling with meaningfulness and purpose in your day-to-day life? And, and, and if so, is it maybe because you don't really know who you are? God, who have you called me to be? How am I gifted? And are the way that I'm living my life, the decisions I'm making, the way I'm using my finances and how I do my work, are those in alignment with who I am as a person, who you've called me to be as a person? And as you think about this year and you think about our church, I just wonder if you'd be willing to pray about and think about, okay, going deep, reaching wide, living through the age to come. How am I engaged in those things? How am I expressing those things in my life and in this community together as a church and maybe even think of to go away from this morning with just one thing is there a way that that I'm gifted that I'm just not using that I could engage in one of these values this year maybe it's joining Jared on Tuesday night and and doing outreach down at the at the uh, Salvation Army or giving in some different way that you haven't been giving or volunteering with a, a, a ministry team or engaging in community or small group together, but some way to align your life with these values of who we are as a community. So as we go into worship today, I I just ask that you'd reflect on those things and reflect on your own life. And we're going to have people available. Uh, We're going to ask you to stand in a minute as we worship together, but you're free to move about the cabin, as they like to say on airplanes. And if you need prayer for something, whether it's related to this message or whether you need healing, physical healing in your life, you need someone to pray with you for something, I just invite you to find somebody off on the sides to, to pray for you for one of those things. Feel free to pray for one another, but let's just worship together. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come, and I'm just going to pray. Father, we ask that you would do this in our life, Lord. I pray that you would renew us again, Lord, in who you've called us to be as a people. God, we do. We want to, to redig those wells. Lord, again and again in every season, Lord, to remember who you've called us to be, who we're meant to be as a people, who is your church, Lord, who's supposed to take your message, supposed to express who you are, Lord, a living reminder of you in this world. And I pray that you would make us into that in a new way in this season as we face challenges, as we face change, and as as chaos continues around us, Lord, I pray that you would root us and ground us. Lord, and who you want us to be. Lord, and help us as we reflect on this. Lord, we reflect on our own lives and our our families and and what are our values, Lord, that you've given to us, who you've called us to be, who we're meant to be. I pray that you just renew us in that. Give us intentionality. Give us a simple word by your spirit, Lord. I pray that you'd speak to many here prophetically by your spirit, Lord, that you'd call them out, Lord, and that they would know who you've meant them to be. What would you like us to work on, Lord, as individuals in this coming year, Lord? I pray that you'd highlight these things. Lord, we just love you. We offer ourselves to you as persons. We offer ourselves to you as a church, Lord. Renew us in your love, Lord. In the
these days. And as we worship you, I pray that you would receive the glory that you do this morning as we worship together. In Jesus' name.